Chapter 2 The Power of Words Better Ways to Encourage and Guide In psychotherapy, a child is never told, You are a good little boy. You are great. Judgmental and evaluative praise is avoided. Why? Because it is not helpful. It creates anxiety, invites dependency and evokes defensiveness. It is not conducive to self-reliance, self-direction and self-control, qualities that demand freedom from outside judgment. They require reliance on inner motivation and evaluation. Children need to be free from the pressure of evaluative praise so that others do not become their source of approval. Isn't praise good for children anymore? Sometimes misbehavior comes at the most unexpected times. It was Monday morning after the Thanksgiving weekend. The family was in the car, driving home from Pittsburgh to New York. In the back of the car, Ivan, age 6, behaved like an angel, quiet and deep in thought. His mother said to herself, He deserves some praise. They were just entering the Lincoln Tunnel when she turned to him and said, You are such a good boy, Ivan. You behaved so well. I am proud of you. A minute later, Ivan pulled out an ashtray and spilled its contents all over his parents. The ashes and cigarette butts kept coming like an atomic fallout. The family was in the tunnel, in heavy traffic and were choking. Ivan's mother could have killed him. What upset her most was that she had just praised him. Isn't praise good for children anymore? She asked herself. Weeks later, Ivan himself revealed the cause of the explosion. All the way home, he had been wondering how he could get rid of his younger brother who was snuggled up between his mother and father in the front of the car. Finally, the idea occurred to him that if their car was jackknifed in the middle, he and his parents would be safe, but the baby would be cut into two. Just then, his mother had congratulated him on his goodness. The praise made him feel guilty and he wanted desperately to show that he did not deserve it. He looked around, saw the ashtray and the rest had followed instantly. Doing something well does not turn you into a good person. Most people believe that praise builds up children's confidence and makes them feel secure. In actuality, praise may result in tension and misbehavior. Why? Many children have from time to time destructive wishes about members of their family. When parents tell a child, you are such a good boy, he may not be able to accept it because his own picture of himself is quite different. In his own eyes, he cannot be good when only recently he wished that his mother would disappear or that his brother would spend the next weekend in a hospital. In fact, the more he is praised, the more he misbehaves in order to show his true self. Parents frequently report that just after praising children for good behavior, they start to act wild as though to disprove their compliment. It is possible that misbehaving is a child's way of communicating private reservations about a public image. It is not unusual for children who are praised for being smart to become less likely to take on challenging learning tasks 
since they do not want to risk their high standing. In contrast, when children are praised for their efforts, they become more persistent in difficult tasks. Desirable and Undesirable Praise Praise like penicillin must not be administered haphazardly. There are rules and cautions that govern the handling of potent medicines. Rules about timing and dosage. Cautions about possible allergic reactions. There are similar regulations about the administration of emotional medicine as well. The single most important rule is that praise deals only with children's efforts and accomplishments, not with their character and personality. When a child cleans up the yard, it is only natural to comment on how hard she has worked and on how good the yard looks. It is highly unrelated and inappropriate to tell her what a good person she is. Words of praise should mirror for the child a realistic picture of her accomplishments, not a distorted image of her personality. The following example illustrates desirable praise. Julie, age 8, worked hard to clean up the yard. She raked the leaves, removed the garbage, and rearranged the tools. Mother was impressed and expressed her appreciation of her efforts and achievements. Mother, the yard was so dirty, I didn't believe it could be cleaned up in one day. Julie, I did it. Mother, it was full of leaves and garbage and things. Julie, I cleaned it all up. Mother, you put in a lot of effort. Julie, yeah, I sure did. Mother, the yard is so clean now, it is a pleasure to look at it. Julie, it's nice. Mother, your beaming face tells me how proud you are. Thank you, dear. Julie, with a mild wide smile, you're welcome. Her mother's words made Julie feel glad of her efforts and proud of her accomplishments. That evening, she could not wait for her father to come home in order to show him the cleaned-up yard and again to feel within herself the pride of a task well done. In contrast, the following words of praise addressed to the child's personality are unhelpful. You are such a wonderful daughter. You're truly mother's little helper. What would mother do without you? Such comments may threaten a child and cause her anxiety. She may feel that she is far from being wonderful and that she is unable to live up to this label. So instead of fearfully waiting to be exposed as a fraud, she may decide to lessen her burden immediately by a confession of misbehavior. Direct praise of personality like direct sunlight is uncomfortable and blinding. It is embarrassing for a person to be told that she is wonderful, angelic, generous and humble. She feels called upon to deny at least part of the praise. Publicly, she cannot stand up and say, Thank you, I accept your words that I am wonderful. Privately too, she must reject such praise. She cannot honestly say to herself, I am wonderful, I am good and strong and generous and humble. She may not only reject the praise, 
but may have some second thoughts about those who have praised her. If they find me so great, they cannot be so smart. Learning in the learning the process of praise. Praise consists of two parts: what we say to children and what they in turn say to themselves. Our words should state clearly what we like and appreciate about their effort, help, work, consideration, creation or accomplishments. Our words should be framed so that a child will almost inevitably draw from them a realistic conclusion about his or her personality. Our words should be like a magic canvas upon which children cannot help but paint a positive picture of themselves. Kenny, age 8, helped his father fix up the basement. In the process, he had to move heavy furniture. Father, the workbench is so heavy, it is hard to move. Kenny, with pride, but I did it. Father, it takes a lot of strength. Kenny, flexing his muscles, I am strong. In this example, Kenny's father commented on the difficulty of the task. It was Kenny himself who drew the inference about his personal power. Had his father said, "You're so strong, son," Kenny might have replied, "No, I am not. There are stronger boys than I in my class." A fruitless, if not bitter, argument might have followed. A fruitless, if not bitter, argument might have followed. We usually praise our children when we want them to feel better about themselves. Why is it then that we say to our daughter, "You're beautiful," she denies it? Why is it that when we say to our son, "You're brilliant," he gets embarrassed and walks away? Is it that our children are so difficult to please that even praise does not help? Of course not. What is more likely is that our children, like most people, do not respond to words of praise that assess their personality or physical and mental attributes children do not like to be evaluated how any of us feel if at the end of each month the person who claims to love us handed us an evaluation in kissing you get an a but in hugging you only get a b in loving on the other hand you get an a plus we would be upset and feel degraded we would not feel loved there is a better way description that details delight and admiration words that convey recognition of effort and statements that transmit respect and understanding june age 13 was alone in the house one evening when a burglar attempted to break in she tried to call the neighbors but no one answered she then called the police When her parents returned home, they found a policeman taking testimony from June. Both mother and father were impressed with the mature manner that June handled the frightening incident. But they did not praise her by telling her what a remarkable girl she was, nor how mature she was. Instead, they talked about the situation and described to her in detail and with great appreciation her effective behavior. June's father said to her, "The way you acted fits Hemingway's definition of courage, grace under pressure. 
How impressive to see a 13-year-old keep her cool and in a hot situation do what needs to be done to protect herself, call a neighbor, then call the police and give the necessary details. Your mom and I are filled with respect for you. June listened as she started to relax. A big smile formed on her face and then she said, I guess you can say that I'm learning to cope with life. Because of her parents' response, June did not complain about being left alone. On the contrary, she came out of a frightening situation feeling more competent. Here's another example. Lester's mother spent an afternoon watching her son play soccer. After the game, wanting to share with her son her appreciation of his skill and his accomplishment, she described in detail what impressed her. It was such a pleasure to watch you play soccer this afternoon, especially the last 10 seconds when you saw an opportunity to score. You ran all the way down to the other end of the field from your defensive position and set up the winning goal. She added, you must be so proud because she wanted him to develop an inner pride. A father asked his six-year-old daughter Jennifer to help him pile the leaves after he had raked them. When they were finished, the father pointed to the piles and said, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six piles in 30 minutes? How did you ever manage to work so fast? That evening, as Jennifer was saying goodnight to her father, she asked, Daddy, can you tell me again about my piles? It takes effort to be specific and descriptive in our praise. Children benefit from the information and appreciation much more than when we evaluate their character. George's mother left this note on her son's guitar. Your playing gives me great pleasure. Her son was delighted. Thanks for saying what a good player I am. He translated his mother's appreciation into a statement that sang his praise. Praise can also be discouraging. It depends on what the child says to herself after she is praised. When 12-year-old Linda arrived at the third level of her video game, her father exclaimed, You are great. You have perfect coordination. You are an expert player. Linda lost interest and walked away. Her father's praise made it difficult for her to continue because she said to herself, Dad thinks I'm a great player, but I'm no expert. I made the third level by luck. If I try again, I may not even make the second level. It is better to quit while I'm ahead. It would have been more helpful for her father to simply observe. It must feel great to reach a new level. The following examples further illustrate this point. Helpful praise. Thank you for washing the car. It looks new again. Possible inference. I did a good job. My work is appreciated. Unhelpful praise. You are an angel. Helpful praise. I liked your get well card. It was so pretty and witty. Possible inference. I have good taste. I can rely on my choices. Unhelpful praise. You are always so considerate. Helpful praise. Your poem spoke to my heart. Possible inference. I am glad I can write poems. 
unhelpful praise. You are a good poet for your age. Helpful praise. The bookcase that you built looks beautiful. Possible inference. I am capable. Unhelpful praise. You are such a good carpenter. Helpful praise. Your letter brought me great joy. Possible inference. I can bring happiness to others. Unhelpful praise. You are an excellent writer. Helpful praise. I appreciate greatly your washing the dishes today. Possible inference. I am responsible. Unhelpful praise. You did a better job than anyone. Helpful praise. Thanks for telling me that I overpaid you. I appreciate it very much. Possible inference. I am glad I was honest. Unhelpful praise. You are such an honest child. Helpful praise. Your composition gave me several new ideas. Possible inference. I can be original. Unhelpful praise. You write well for your grade. Of course, you still have a lot to learn. Such descriptive statements and children's positive conclusions are the building blocks of mental health. What they conclude about themselves in response to our words, children later restate silently to themselves. Realistic positive statements repeated inwardly by children determine to a large extent their good opinion of themselves and of the world around them. Providing your child with guidance rather than criticism. Criticism and evaluative praise are two sides of the same coin. Both are judgmental. To avoid being judgmental, psychologists do not use criticism to influence children. They use guidance. In criticism, parents attack children's personality attributes and their character. In guidance, we state the problem and a possible solution. We say nothing to the child about himself or herself. When 8-year-old Mary accidentally spilled her juice, her mother commented calmly, I see the juice spilled. Let's get another glass of juice and a sponge. She got up and handed the juice and the sponge to her daughter. Mary looked up at her in relief and disbelief. She muttered, Gee, thanks mom. She cleaned up the table while her mother helped her. She did not add cutting comments or useless admonitions. Mary's mother related, I was tempted to say, next time be careful. But when I saw how grateful she was for my benevolent silence, I said nothing. When things go wrong, it is not the right time to teach an offender about his personality. When things go wrong, it is best to deal only with the event, not with the person. Imagine that you are driving with your beloved and make a wrong turn. Would it be helpful for him or her to say, Why did you take the wrong turn? Didn't you see the sign? There is a big sign back there. Anyone can see it. At that moment, would you feel a great surge of love? Would you say to yourself, I am going to improve my driving and reading because I want to please my beloved? Or would you be tempted to respond in kind? 
what would be helpful a sympathetic emotional sigh oh honey how frustrating or maybe just simple information there's an exit 11 miles from here when things go wrong respond rather than react in many homes storms between parents and child develop in a regular and predictable sequence the child does or says something wrong the parent reacts with something insulting the child replies with something worse the parent retorts with high pitched threats or with high handed punishment and the free for all is on during breakfast one morning Nathaniel aged 7 was playing with an empty cup while his father was reading the paper father you'll break it you're always breaking things Nathaniel no i won't just then the cup fell on the floor and broke father for crying out loud you're so stupid you break everything in the house Nathaniel you're stupid too You broke mom's best plate. Father, you called your father stupid? You're rude. Nathaniel, you're rude. You called me stupid first. Father, not another word from you. Go up to your room immediately. Nathaniel, go ahead, make me. At this direct challenge to his authority, the father became enraged. He grabbed his son and started spanking him in fury. While attempting to escape, Nathaniel pushed his father into a glass door. The glass broke and cut his father's hand. The sight of blood threw Nathaniel into a panic. He ran out of the house and was not found until late in the evening. The whole household was upset and no one in the house slept well that night. Whether or not Nathaniel learned to avoid empty cups was less important than the negative lesson that he learned about himself and his father. The question is, was this battle necessary? Was the fighting inevitable? Or is it possible to handle such incidents more wisely? Upon seeing his son playing with the cup, the father could have removed it and directed him to a more suitable substitute such as a ball. or when the cup broke he could have helped his son dispose of the pieces with comments such as cups can break so easily who would have thought that such a small cup would make such a big mess the surprise of such a low tone sentence might have sent nathaniel into atonement and apology for the mishap in the absence of screams and spankings he may even have had the presence of mind to conclude for himself that cups are not for playing minor mishaps and major values from minor mishaps children can learn major lessons in values children need to learn from their parents to distinguish between events that are merely unpleasant and annoying and those that are tragic or catastrophic many parents react to a broken egg as to a broken leg to a shattered window as to a shattered heart minor misfortunes should be pointed out as such to children so you lost your glove again that is annoying it's regrettable but it is not a catastrophe it's only a mishap 
a lost glow need not lead to a lost temper. A torn shirt need not serve as a prop for a do-it-yourself Greek tragedy. On the contrary, a mishap can be a good time to teach values. When 8-year-old Diana lost the birthstone in her ring, she started to cry bitterly. Her father looked at her and said clearly and forcefully, In our home, stones are not that important. People are important. Feelings are important. Anyone can lose a stone, but stones can be replaced. It's your feelings that matter to me. You really like that ring. I hope you find the stone. Parental criticism is unhelpful. It creates anger and resentment. Even worse, children who are regularly criticized learn to condemn themselves and others. They learn to doubt their own worth and to belittle the value of others. They learn to suspect people and to expect personal doom. 11-year-old Justin promised to wash the family car. He forgot to do it. He made a last-minute attempt to do the job but didn't finish it. Father, the car needs more work. Son, especially on the top and the left side, when can you do it? Justin, I can work on the car tonight, Dad. Father, thank you. Instead of criticism, this father gave his son information without derogation, making it possible for the son to finish the job without getting angry with his father. Imagine how differently Justin would have reacted if his father had used criticism in an effort to educate his son. Father, did you wash the car? Justin, yes, Dad. Father, are you sure? Justin, I am sure. Father, you call that washing? You played at it as you always do. Fun, that's all you want. You think you can get through life like that? With such sloppy work, you won't last one day on a job. You're irresponsible, that's what you are. Nine-year-old Barbara's mother did not know how to respond to her daughter either, without criticizing. When Barbara came home hysterical from school one day complaining, Everything happened to me today. My books fell into a puddle, the boys kept picking on me, and somebody stole my sneakers. Her mother, instead of sympathizing with her daughter, admonished and criticized her. Why does everything happen to you? Why can't you be like other children? What's wrong with you? Barbara started to cry. What would have helped Barbara feel better? A simple, sympathetic acknowledgement of her difficult day. Oh honey, you sure had an unusually rough day. Abusive adjectives harm our children. Abusive adjectives like poisonous arrows are not to be used against children. When a person says, this is an ugly chair, nothing happens to the chair. It is neither insulted nor embarrassed. It stays just as it is regardless of the adjective attached to it. However, when children are called ugly or stupid or clumsy, something does happen to them. There are reactions in their bodies and in their souls. Resentment, anger and hate develop. Fantasies of revenge emerge. Undesirable behavior and troublesome symptoms may surface. 
verbal attacks generate a chain of reactions that makes children and their parents miserable when a child is called clumsy he may at first retort with no i'm not clumsy but more often than not he believes his parents and he comes to think of himself as a clumsy person when he happens to stumble or to fall he may say aloud to himself you are so clumsy from then on he may avoid situations in which agility is required because he is convinced that he is too clumsy to succeed when a child is repeatedly told by her parents or teachers that she is stupid she comes to believe it she starts thinking of herself as such she then gives up intellectual efforts feeling that her escape from ridicule lies in avoiding contest and competition her safety hinges on not trying her motto in life becomes if i don't try i can't fail isn't it amazing how many negative and demeaning comments parents make in the presence of their children without realizing their hurtful and destructive consequences for example from the moment he was born he was nothing but trouble and he's been nothing but trouble ever since she's just like her mother stubborn she does what she wants we have no control over her all she knows is gimme gimme but she's never satisfied no matter how much you give her that sweet little boy takes every moment of my day he's so irresponsible i have to watch him like a hawk unfortunately children take these remarks seriously little children especially depend on their parents to tell them who they are and what they are capable of becoming for children to develop a worthwhile sense of themselves they need to hear and overhear mostly positive remarks about themselves it's ironic that many parents find it easier to point out what's wrong with their children than what's right with them yet if we want our children to grow up feeling confident and self-assured we need to take every opportunity to emphasize the positive and avoid demeaning comments congruent communication have the words fit the feelings children can irritate and infuriate yet we try hard to be patient and understanding inevitably we run out of steam and explode perhaps about a child's room you're not even fit to live in a pigsty then full of remorse we try to apologize i didn't mean it you are fit to live in a pigsty we would like to believe that patience is a virtue but is it not if it demands that we pretend to be calm when we feel agitated that we not act the way we feel that our behavior instead of reflecting hides our true feelings having been brought up not to show our true emotions we are proudest when in the midst of the greatest turmoil we show the least reaction some call it patience but what children need from their parents and appreciate is a congruent response they want to hear words that reflect parents true feelings it's not unusual even for a small child to protect himself or herself from parental anger by hurling the most potent of all accusations 
you don't love me but of course i love you yells the parent in a tone so angry that it belies the words without reassuring the child parents don't feel loving when angry by invoking love the child has put the parent on the defensive cleverly shifting the focus from herself to the parent only parents who give themselves permission not to feel loving when angry can answer a child's accusation without being defensive this is not a good time to talk about love but it is a good time to talk about what made me angry the angrier the parent the greater the child's need to be reassured but expressing love in an angry tone is not comforting it does not make a child feel loved it only creates confusion because what a child hears are not loving words but the anger that the abrasive voice conveys it's more helpful for children to learn that anger does not lead to abandonment the loss of loving feelings is only temporary they will reappear as soon as the anger disappears handling our own anger in our own childhood we were not taught how to deal with anger as a fact of life we were made to feel guilty for experiencing anger and sinful for expressing it we were led to believe that to be angry is to be bad anger was not merely a misdemeanor it was a felony with our own children we try to be patient in fact so patient that sooner or later we must explode we are afraid that our anger may be harmful to children so we hold it in as a skin diver holds his breath in both instances however the capacity for holding in is rather limited anger like the common cold is a recurrent problem we may not like it but we cannot ignore it we may know it intimately but we cannot prevent its appearance Anger arises in predictable sequences and situations yet it always seems sudden and unexpected and though it may not last long anger seems eternal for the moment when we lose our temper we act as though we have lost our sanity we say and do things to our children that we would hesitate to inflict on an enemy we yell insult and attack when the fanfare is over we feel guilty and we solemnly resolve never to render a repeat performance but anger inevitably strikes again undoing our good intentions once more we lash out at those to whose welfare we have dedicated our life and fortune resolutions about not becoming angry are worse than futile they only add fuel to fire anger like a hurricane is a fact of life to be acknowledged and prepared for the peaceful home like the hoped for peaceful world does not depend on a sudden benevolent change in human nature it does depend on deliberate procedures that methodically reduce tensions before they lead to explosions emotionally healthy parents are not saints they are aware of their anger and respect it They use their anger as a source of information and indication of their caring. Their words are congruent with their feelings. They do not hide their feelings. The following episode illustrates how a mother encourages cooperation by venting her anger without insulting or humiliating her daughter. Jane, age 11, came home screaming. 
I can't play baseball. I don't have a shirt. The mother could have given her daughter an acceptable solution. Wear your blouse. Or wanting to be helpful, she could have helped Jane look for the shirt. Instead, she decided to express her true feelings. I'm angry. I'm mad. I have bought you six baseball shirts and they are either mislaid or lost. Your shirts belong in your dresser. Then when you need them, you'll know where to find them. Jane's mother expressed her anger without insulting her daughter, as she commented later. Not once did I bring up past grievances or reopen old wounds, nor did I call my daughter names. I did not tell her that she is a scatterbrain and irresponsible. I just described how I felt and what needed to be done in the future to avoid unpleasantness. Her mother's words helped Jane herself come up with a solution. She hurried off to search for the mislaid shirts at her friend's house and in the locker room in the gym. There is a place for parental anger in child education. In fact, failure to get angry at certain moments would only convey to the child indifference, not goodness. Those who care cannot altogether shun anger. This does not mean that children can withstand floods of fury and violence. It means only that they can stand and understand anger that says, there are limits to my tolerance. For parents, anger is a costly emotion. To be worth its price, it should not be employed without profit. Anger should not be used so that it increases with expression. The medication must not be worse than the disease. Anger should be expressed in a way that brings some relief to the parent, some insight to the child, and no harmful side effects to either of them. Thus, we should not bawl our children in front of their friends. It only makes them act up more, which in turn makes us angrier. We are not interested in creating or perpetuating waves of anger, defiance, retaliation and revenge. On the contrary, we want to get our point across and let the stormy clouds evaporate. Three Steps to Survival To prepare ourselves in times of peace to deal with times of stress, we should acknowledge the following truths. Number 1. We accept the fact that we will sometimes get angry in dealing with children. Number 2. We are entitled to our anger without guilt or shame. Number 3. Except for one safeguard, we are entitled to express what we feel. We can express our angry feelings provided we do not attack the child's personality or character. These assumptions should be implemented in concrete procedures for dealing with anger. The first step in handling turbulent feelings is to identify them clearly by name. This gives a warning to whomsoever it may concern to make amends or to take precautions. We do this by starting with the pronoun I. I feel annoyed or I feel irritated. If our short statements and long faces have not brought relief, we proceed to the second step. We express our anger with increasing intensity. I feel angry. I feel very angry. I feel very, very angry. I feel furious. 
Sometimes the mere statement of our feelings without explanations stops the child from misbehaving. At other times, it may be necessary to proceed to the third step, which is to give the reason for our anger, to state our inner reactions and our wishful actions. When I see the shoes and the socks and the shirts and the sweaters spread all over the floor, I get angry. I get furious. I feel like opening the window and throwing the whole mess into the middle of the street. It makes me angry to see you hit your brother. I get so mad inside myself that I see red. I start boiling. I can never allow you to hurt him. When I see all of you rush away from dinner to watch TV and leave me with the dirty dishes and greasy pants, I feel indignant. I get so mad I fume inside. I feel like taking all the dishes and breaking them on the TV set. When I call you for dinner and you don't come, I get angry. I get very angry. I say to myself, I cooked a good meal and I want some appreciation, not frustration. This approach allows parents to vent their anger without causing damage. On the contrary, it may even illustrate an important lesson in how to express anger safely. The child may learn that his or her own anger is not catastrophic, that it can be discharged without destroying anyone. This lesson will require more than just expression of anger by parents. It will require that parents point out to their children acceptable channels of emotional expression and demonstrate to them safe and respectable ways of expressing anger. Spouses also appreciate anger without insult. A father related the following. As I was leaving for work one morning, my wife informed me that our nine-year-old son, Harold, while playing ball in the living room, had broken the glass of antique wall clock for the second time. I became angry forgot all I had learned and lashed out. Obviously, you have no regard for our things. Wait until I get home this evening. I will punish you so hard that you will never dare to play ball in the living room. My wife walked me to the door and not realizing that labeling is just as disabling and enraging for husbands as it is for children. She said to me, Boy, what a stupid thing to say to Harold. Since I love my wife, I suppressed my anger and answered, I guess you are right. At first, I was angry only at my son. After my wife called me stupid, I also became enraged at her. I already felt guilty for reverting to my old way of talking. I did not need her to rub it in. How much more helpful it would have been had she said to me, It's infuriating to have the glass broken twice. I wonder how we can help Harold avoid this incident in the future. Melissa's father was more fortunate. His wife knew how to influence him without enraging. Seven-year-old Melissa and her parents were driving in a car one evening when the following conversation took place. Melissa, what does pizza mean? Father, pizza? It's an Italian word for pie. Melissa, what does pharmacy mean? Father, it's another word for drugstore. Melissa, what does bank mean? Father, getting angry. You know that one. It's a place where people keep their money. Melissa, 
How does day turn into night? Father, very angry. Boy, you sure ask a lot of questions. When the sun goes down, there is no more light. Melissa, why is the moon moving with the car? Mother, what an interesting question. Do you know that this question has puzzled scientists for hundreds of years and so they decided to study the movement of the moon? Melissa, excited. Boy, that I am going to be a scientist. I am going to the library and find a book that tells me all about the moon. The question stopped. This mother understood that to keep answering children's questions only encourages them to ask more questions. But she resisted the temptation to point this out to her husband. Instead, she demonstrated that by not giving her daughter a direct answer, she helped her find her own way of satisfying her curiosity. Chris's mother, who had been trying to discourage her husband from ordering his children around, shared the following incident. One evening, while she and her husband were enjoying a glass of wine in the kitchen of their beach house, her husband noticed a beach bag, a wet bathing suit, and a beach ball on the table. His usual response was to get angry and bark at the children like a drill sergeant in the army. How many times do I have to tell you to put your things away? You're so inconsiderate. What do you think we are, slaves to pick up after you? But this time, he calmly described what he saw. I see a beach bag, a wet bathing suit, and a beach ball on the kitchen table. Eight-year-old Chris jumped up from his seat in the living room and explained, Oh, that must be mine, as he went into the kitchen to pick up his things. After Chris left, his father said to his mother gleefully, I remembered, and it works. Instead of saying, I told you so, I lifted my glass in a toast to words that invite children's cooperation. Responding to an angry child The method is the message. When children get upset, they cannot be reached by reasoning. When angry, they respond only to emotional balm. Two young siblings were playing in the basement. Suddenly, a noise of destruction, followed by shouting and accusations, was heard. Red with anger, Billy, age six, ran up the stairs and blurted out, Betsy knocked over my fort. His mother sympathized. Oh, 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 that must have made you very angry. It sure did. He turned around and went back to play. This was the first time Billy's mother managed not to get involved in her children's daily scraps. By not asking the fatal question who started it, she avoided her son's usual recital of grievances and requests for revenge. By mirroring his inner mood, she avoided the disagreeable role of becoming judge, prosecutor and law enforcer to her children. In the following episode, a mother's empathic comment made a difference between peace and war. Nine-year-old David did not want to go to the dentist. He was angry and irritating his older sister, Tina, who said to him, Oh, David, grow up. David became angrier and nastier. Her mother turned to Tina and said, David is upset today. 
He's worried about his visit to the dentist. Right now, he needs all our consideration. As if by magic, David quietened down. He went to the dentist without further complaints. By responding to David's upset feelings rather than to his irritating behavior, mother made it possible for him to feel more relaxed and thus less obnoxious. This vignette contrasts two ways of helping small children diffuse their anger and tolerate frustration. One escalates the anger, the other diminishes it. Tom and his friend Jim, both three-year-olds, were playing with toy xylophones. When Jim's hammer got stuck, he got angry and started to cry. His mother admonished him, That's no reason to carry on. I won't fix it until you stop screaming. Jim continued to cry and his mother took away his toy. The resulting temper tantrum was a sight to behold. In contrast, when Tom's hammer got stuck and he started to cry, his mother said to him, You're crying because the hammer is stuck. We need to fix it. The crying stopped. Now, whenever the hammer gets stuck, Tom no longer cries, but brings it to his mother to fix. Jim's mother scolded, threatened, blamed and punished, while Tom's mother defined the problem and suggested a solution. Miriam, age 12, returned from the theatre disgruntled and angry. Mother, you look unhappy. Miriam, I'm furious. I had to sit so far back that I couldn't see anything of the play. Mother, no wonder you're upset. It's no fun when you sit so far back. Miriam, it sure wasn't. Besides, there was a tall guy sitting in front of me. Mother, that's adding insult to injury. All the way back and behind a tall person, that's too much. Miriam, it sure was. The helpful ingredient in Miriam's mother's response was her acceptance of Miriam's mood without criticism or advice. She did not ask unhelpful questions such as, Why didn't you go earlier to get a better seat? Or, Couldn't you ask the tall man to change seats with you? She concentrated on helping her daughter diminish her anger. An empathic response that mirrors to children their upset feelings and expresses the parents' sympathy and understanding is effective in changing children's angry moods. The written word can be a powerful tool for restoring damaged feelings that results from angry outbursts. While both children and parents need to be encouraged to express their feelings in writing, be it an email or a letter. One evening, 13-year-old Trudy hurled insults at her mother, accusing her of going into her room, unlocking her desk and reading her diary. When she realized that her suspicion was groundless, Trudy decided to apologize in writing. Dear Mom, I have just committed the worst crime a moral person can commit. I made my mother unhappy and miserably upset with my accusation. I am ashamed and humiliated. I used to feel good about myself, but now I hate myself. I love you, Trudy.
Trudy's mother was upset when the note made her realize that that incident shattered Trudy's positive self-image. She took time to compose a letter that would restore Trudy's loving self. Dearest Trudy, thank you for sharing your troubled and unhappy feelings with me. What happened the other evening was difficult for both of us, but not tragic. I want you to know that my feelings about you and for you have in no way changed. I see you as the same lovable person who at times can get very upset and angry. I hope you will find it in your heart to forgive yourself, to recapture the good feelings about yourself. Much love, your mom. The mother was helpful in reassuring her daughter that getting angry need not alter one's loving feelings for oneself or others. Often after getting angry at their parents for not listening to their argument, children will present their case in writing. A father related the following incident. In his home, the children are given certificates that they may cash in for extra time at night before going to sleep. One evening, Peter, age 10, wanted to buy some time with a certificate which he had lost. His father refused to honor a non-existent certificate. Peter became frustrated and angry, screaming as he ran out of the room. But you gave it to me. When Peter's father went to his bedroom that evening, he found the following letter. Dear dad, if you do not let me stay up, you're not being just because number 1, we both know that you gave me the certificate. Number 2, you know what my desk is like and I lose things. Number 3, you know how much I was looking forward to using the certificate. I don't want to seem obnoxious for writing this. I'm only stating my own mind. Peter. When the father read the note, he realized that Peter was showing him a way to repair the bad feelings between them. It also gave him an opportunity to try an important child rearing principle. Whenever possible, enhance your child's self-worth. He therefore penned the following note. Dear son, what clarity of thought what persuasive arguments as i was reading it i had to remind myself that it was not written by a young man much older than 10 enclosed please find the replaced certificate love dad summary words have the power to build and energize or to frighten and devastate when we notice and appreciate children's efforts we help them grow in hope and confidence in contrast when we evaluate the child we activate anxiety and resistance it may seem obvious that negative labels lazy stupid mean are damaging to children it comes as a surprise that even positive labeling good perfect best can be disabling It is important that we be positive and encouraging with children. We acknowledge effort and express appreciation. You worked very hard on that. Thank you for your help. But we do not label or evaluate the child. When there are problems, we look for solutions rather than blame or criticize. Even the inevitable anger can be expressed without labeling or blaming.
Behind all these skills of caring communication is a deep respect for children.